0: I invite you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter one, chapter one. It was good to see so many of you at the theological coffee house on Friday night. Um, that actually really exceeded my expectations. Um, kind of a, had a packed house um, with people who asked great questions. Um, hopefully you got some halfway-decent answers. Uh, there's an email list out there for those of you who want the notes from that on Friday night. We didn't record it, but I, I've got a transcript and I can send you a lot of the notes. Um, we're going to read the first 25, actually verse 5 through 25 in Luke chapter 1. <clears throat> in the days of Herod, king of Judea, And your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth, for he will be great before the Lord. And he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit, even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God, and he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah, To turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just. To make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I'm an old man and my wife is advanced in years. And the angel answered him, I'm Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And he kept making signs to them and and remained mute. And when his time of service was ended, he went to his home. After these days, his wife Elizabeth conceived. And for five months, she kept herself hidden, saying, Thus the Lord has done for me in the days when he looked on me to take away my reproach among people. Pray with me. Lord God, I ask that you would speak tonight. That You would speak clearly. Lord, that Your Word would go forth and have the effect that You desire. I pray that for those who need healing, they would be healed. For those, Lord, who need repentance, that they would repent. For those who need brokenness, break their hearts. But Lord, have Your way with us tonight. Lord, I ask that my words would fall to the ground and blow away and not be remembered anymore, but Lord, let your words remain, and may they change us. That's our hope, and that is our expectation, and we pray that in the name of Jesus. Amen. Now, we've just read a pretty long text, and later in the message, we're going to read another 13 verses or so, and yet this is still less than half of the first chapter of Luke. Luke has got really long chapters. I think this one's about eighty verses or verses or so, and that means that you know last week we went through four verses. That means it would take us twenty weeks just to go through chapter one, which you know we can't do that, and we teach through the whole council of God. And so we're gonna have to speed up the pace a little bit, a little bit more than I'm even comfortable with. Otherwise, we're never gonna get through Luke in three years or so, and I want to get to the other sixty five books of the Bible. Um, It kills me because there's a lot of really good stuff here that we're going to skip over. Um, I put in the foyer out there a number of commentaries um, that that I brought from home. If you guys want to look at them, I suggested a couple. Um, If any of you want to actually buy a commentary and then go with it, you know, for the next two or three years to actually walk through Luke with us um, as a supplement, I think it would be a great idea. Um, Also, if you're part of a home group... Um, You're going to be getting some additional questions, not just to deal with the text, but or what we preached on, but things in addition to that. Another way of helping you go deeper. So uh, join a home group if you haven't. Um, I will guilt you. I'll do whatever it takes to get you to be in one. Um, All right. Last week we looked at how Luke wrote this book to a man named Theophilus, who's a Roman official um, who had somehow he had come to the understanding of the basic principles of Christianity, but He wanted to be a little more certain in his faith and so he likely commissioned and paid for Luke to go and do do some investigative reporting and Luke did that and he put together a very accurate and orderly account of the gospel, of the life of Jesus and his followers and he left no stone unturned. He did investigations, he, he followed up, he interviewed people. It's a very detailed account. God does not intend for us to have blind faith. He wants us to have faith that is built on the facts, and Luke is giving us the facts. And, and one of the reasons we really decided we wanted to study Luke and take so much time as a church is because, as more of the teachings of Jesus than any of the other gospels, and also Luke, man, you just want to be like him. I mean, this is a man who, when Paul was in prison and he says, Everybody else has deserted me, only Luke is with me at the end of his life. I want a faith like that. I want to have certainty. And we get to see in Luke how he came to such certainty in his faith. He starts his gospel a little different from Matthew and Mark, which was already floating around at this time, because he doesn't start at the birth of Jesus. He goes back a step, and he starts with John. And he sets up his first two chapters very intentionally. Um, he, He tells how Gabriel spoke to John's parents, or t- spoke to Zechariah, and told Zechariah, you're going to have a son named John. And then he tells how Gabriel went to Mary and told Mary, you're going to have a child named Jesus. And then he goes back and he tells how John was born, and then he goes and he tells how Jesus was born. And that's the order of the first two chapters. And what he's doing is he's inviting you to compare these stories. See how they're similar. See how they're contrasted. And so that's why we wanted, what we want to do tonight. These stories, they have a lot in common. Gabriel, one of the archangels, he's the one who announces the birth to both Zechariah and to Mary. That they're going to have a baby. It's not just going to be any normal birth. It's going to be a miraculous birth. Because Elizabeth is old. Mary's very, very young. You see in both of these stories, God is orchestrating everything For his purpose. He's making these huge promises. Huge promises. And you got to see them as promises. They're not predictions. God doesn't, you know, somehow kind of weigh things. And like, you know, I think maybe the virgin might be with child. No, he promises and he makes it happen. He's in absolute control of all of these things. And he's working it out for his glory. He does not predict. And Luke wants Theophilus to know that we worship a God in total control of everything. And we're going to see in a few weeks how God can even cause a census to go all across the nation just so we can move, you know, parents-to-be from one point A to point B. He could cause a national census just to move two people. And it's so hard to figure out what God is doing when you think of things like that. But Luke wants you to rest assured that God is in control, total control. Now, those are the similarities. Now, the contrasts are a little more obvious here. The main contrast is that Zechariah doubted, and Mary believed. Zechariah doubted, and Mary believed. And you kind of get the point that Luke really wants us to see this when you go to verse 45, which we didn't read, but um, I think it's kind of funny. Um, or, uh, Elizabeth says this to Mary. It says, and blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. And you kind of get this point that Zechariah is right next to him, or right next to her, and she's like, yeah, blessed is her who believed, elbow. You know, of course, Zechariah can't say a word, literally. Um, and so you get this comparison there that Luke is inviting us into. All right, let's take a closer look at what Luke tells us actually about Zechariah. We know he's a priest, and he's an older man. He's married to Elizabeth. They didn't have children. We've seen from previous studies that this was a social embarrassment. Uh, Actually, Elizabeth calls it a reproach. It's a reproach that God's going to remove away. Uh, During this time, people would have seen it as a curse from God, which is why Luke is very quick to point out she's barren, but they walked blameless. They were righteous. Don't blame her barrenness on, on some sin in their life. That's not why. Now, Zechariah, he, he's a priest, and, and that means that he would perform his priestly duties twice a year. He would go to the temple twice a year. There was 18,000 priests. There's only one temple. And so you've got a lot of workers for a very limited amount of space. And so they broke it up. So he would go for just two weeks of the year. That's it. And, and so he would go, and in reading verse 9, it says, He would go, according to the custom of the priesthood, he was chosen by lot to enter the temple of the Lord and burn incense. So he's chosen by lot. First, it's, it's one of his weeks where he goes, and then they have this, this drawing to see who gets to burn incense. Because remember, 18,000 priests, and this is just one duty. You could only do this once in your life if you were a priest. Once you were chosen, you can never do it again. So what you are seeing here is this is the pinnacle of Zechariah's ministry experience. He's older. He has been waiting for this his whole life. He he, he gets to the temple. He's waiting. Is it going to be my year to do it? No. My year? No. Finally it's his year. This is what he's been waiting for his whole life is to go in and, and to offer the incense and offer the prayers for the redemption of Israel before the Lord. So he goes in to the temple. He lights the incense and he prays for the redemption of Israel and and whenever this would happen, a large group of people that Luke points out, it says they would gather outside and they would be praying with the priest, joining him in this prayer. Now, Look at verse 11. It says, And they appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing on the right side of the altar of incense. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. Now Luke, um, obviously he wouldn't be a very good contemporary writer, because he, he says this pretty, well, it's pretty dull, actually. I mean, this is an angel of the Lord just appears, and it says Zechariah is troubled. He's troubled. Uh, and then it says that, you know, he was, he was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell on him, and, and it just really doesn't come through that well, but when, when, you, when you put those two words, troubled and fear, together, it's, it's, it gives the... Connotation like he almost had a heart attack. I mean, he is shaking in his boots when he sees this angel right next to him, much as we would be if we were just going through our task or just saying prayers and all of a sudden an angel appeared. Don't think of an angel as like some little baby cherub. You know, that they wouldn't have to say, don't be scared. Well, you would be scared, but they're terrifying. Absolutely terrifying. And so he is trembling in his boots right here. I mean, he's already nervous. He's already really excited because this is his once in a lifetime opportunity. He wants to make sure he does it all right. And then an angel. And as always in Scripture, when a good angel appears, they say, Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And he says, You're going to have a child. Your prayers have been heard. You're going to have a son. You're going to name him John, which means God is gracious. Now, you've got to ask the question, what prayer is Gabriel talking about? When you first read through this, um, you're tempted to think that, hey, this is Zechariah's prayer for a child. But that's not what the angel's talking about. I mean, Zechariah doesn't expect a child. He doesn't think it's going to happen. Maybe he prayed that a long time ago, but he knows. He and Elizabeth are too old for that. The, the prayer that the angel's talking about is the prayer that he just offered. The prayer for re- the redemption of Israel. The prayer for the redemption of Israel. And, and so this has got to be really terribly confusing for Zechariah because he's praying for re- the redemption of Israel and then an angel comes and says, God has heard your prayer, you're going to have a child. It's like, I'm going to have a child? Uh-uh. And then he tells exactly who this child will be by quoting the end of Malachi. Malachi 4.5 says, Behold, I will send you Elijah, the prophet, before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with the decree of utter destruction. Those are the last words of the Old Testament. The very last words. After those words were uttered, you had 500 years of silence. 500 years of the people waiting for the prophet to show up. 500 years of darkness. I mean, can you really believe in prayer after 500 years of nothing? Nothing there? I mean, Caroline, my my six-year-old, she asks all the time, Dad, how can I hear God's voice? What does His voice sound like? And and, and through the Holy Spirit, we have that small, still voice that speaks to us through His Word, or speaks in our hearts. You know, it's a great question, she asks. Now, Now, for the people in the Old Covenant, they mainly heard the Lord's voice through His prophets. And there hadn't been a prophet in 500 years. And now, an angel of the Lord appears before Zechariah and says, You're going to have a son, and he is going to be that prophet. He's going to break 500 years of silence. He picks right back up where the old covenant ends. Now, this is incredible news. Incredible news. I mean, I kind of have this scene of like all these angels around the throne of God saying, can I I give this news? You know, they're all heralds, they're all messengers. Like, let me be the one to do this. You know, I want to be the one to do this. To go and appear before a righteous and blameless man who's been faithfully serving you. uh, To tell them that God is going to answer finally after 500 years their prayers. He's going to break through the darkness. And he's really going to do this. And he's not only going to do this, he's going to do it through you and your wife, and he's going to take away your shame of not having any children. Man, can I be the one who does that? And somehow, I don't know how they do it, but God appoints Gabriel, and Gabriel gets to come. He's the lucky angel, and he gets a different reaction than I think he is expecting to give such good news to a righteous man. Zechariah responds, with how can I know this is true? I'm an old man. My wife is advanced in years. He's just old. His wife's advanced. And Zechariah's eye is emphatic. He's like, how can I know this? And this is outright disbelief. And I'm sure that Gabriel does not expect this. He didn't see this coming at all. The last time we read about Gabriel, it's it's in the book of Daniel, and it says that he was going to give an answer to Daniel, and you have this weird prince of Persia kind of demon that he had to fight for weeks or for a long time before he got there. You can understand that resistance, but here he meets a righteous man and he gets resistance. Look at verse 19. And the angel answered him, I am Gabriel stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you, and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent and unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words, which will be fulfilled in their time. And now you can tell that Gabriel actually gets a little ticked. I mean, he really does. He gets, he gets a little ticked here um, in his response. He says, how can you know this true? Because I, and it's an emphatic I, because I am a stinking archangel. And just five seconds ago, you were about to pass out with fear. That's how you know. That's your sign. I mean, what more of a sign do you need? I mean, you guys, he's probably thinking people see signs everywhere. People hear the word India three or four times in one day and they're convinced God's calling me to India because I heard the word India. People see, like, you know, Jesus burned in toast, and they think it's a sign. There, there, there's signs everywhere. Here, an archangel of the Lord is standing before a righteous man, telling him something. He says, I need a sign. So Gabriel says, I stand before God. I'll give you a sign. Be quiet. Be quiet until it's fulfilled. Verse 21, this is the people that are waiting outside anxiously for Zechariah. They're wondering, what's the delay? There's no reason. There's just a short prayer he was supposed to offer. And you just light you know, the incense, offer a short prayer, and come back. And delay is bad news. Because priests can be killed when they're before the presence of the Lord. And so they're, they're wondering, what's, what's going on? Zechariah finally comes out can't speak, he's using motions. I kind of like to think this is the, uh, the birth of the Christian miming ministry right here. You know, he's, he, he's trying to, to tell them, and, and look what he has to sign. I mean, how do you sign the Archangel Gabriel? Gabriel just appeared to me. I was scared, you know, out of my mind. Um, he told me I'm going to have a son in my old age, and the son's going to be the pro- How do you sign that? I mean, he's just—he's giving all of these motions. I don't know. Been easier if he was in a box. Um, Zechariah doubts. I mean, seriously, how does a man like Zechariah doubt? I mean, he's righteous. He's blameless. He's a priest, and angels before him. He knows God does stuff like this. I mean, he knows it. As a priest, he would have taught stories about Baron Sarah having Isaac, Baron Manoah having Samson, Baron Hannah having Samuel. He knows this is how God has worked. He doubts. He would have taught those things as a priest. He shouldn't have doubted, but he did. And I think one of the reasons he did is because sometimes God's promises are just over the top. I mean, they're just over the top good. And we think, okay, those are things that happen to other people. Those are things that happen in the Bible, but they're not things that happen to us. They don't happen to me. I mean, when you ask for something in prayer, do you really think God will answer you? Do you really think that will happen or does it shock you if it does? We're not surprised when he answers the prayers of others. We're not surprised when we read it in the Bible. When it happens to us, it's a different matter. We don't really expect God to work. You know, when we gather together, we come to church and we pray and we pray great things. And we pray, God, come in power. God, break bondages in this place. God, bring repentance. God, God, make me a better husband. God, make me a, a better father. God, do these things. Do we really expect them to do these things? Do we really expect that? I think we expect it maybe to hap- happen to others. But personally, we tend to doubt his promises. God's promises... Um, They also seem a little absurd after you are uh, going through a time of suffering or a time of silence. You know, Zechariah, he wanted a child for a long time, but God didn't give him one. Israel had been waiting for the Messiah for a long time, but it hadn't happened. And, And God just doesn't seem to be in a hurry. And so when we're suffering, we, just, we don't expect to see God. It's just so hard to believe in him, and sometimes his promises are incredible. And we feel like, you know, God, he promises something, and we have to remind him of things. God, I need to remind you of the circumstance that I'm in. You know, God, let me remind you, I'm old, my wife's advanced, you know, it's not going to happen. I mean, all of us, we like to remind God of things when we hear promises. Yeah, here's a few promises. 1 John 1, 9, it says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive, forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's a great promise. And, and usually when I hear a promise like that, I remind God of just how bad I really am and how much I really messed up. It's like, God, <laughs> did you know just how bad I was going to be when you made that promise? Were you aware of that? I think I need to remind you. And I have a hard time clinging to that. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will provide the way of escape. So that you may be able to endure it. That's a promise. Yet we like to remind God of the exact situation we are in. I hear that, God, I understand, but as everybody here thinks of are the exception and we explain it to God, let me remind you, you really don't know this situation. There's not a way out this time. You know, if, if I don't lie, I'm not gonna keep my job. It's, it's simple. There, there is no other way out. Do you know how hard it is, God, to stay sexually pure in, in my situation right now? Do you understand? Do I need to remind you? You know, for me, as I was writing this message, um, I-, I called Lauren and she was asking how things were going. I was like, oh, oh. and she knows, oh, okay, well, no, no rush. Don't come home. You know, stay there as long as you want. And God had to remind me. He had to remind me of one of his promises that when his word goes out, it will not return void. And it will always accomplish his purpose. It's a promise. And I'm thinking, God, but you don't understand the situation. You don't understand. I'm just so tired. Gosh, two nights in a row, almost no sleep. I'm just so, none of this is really coming. None of, and God says, you don't need to remind me. I know. Trust me, my word will not return void. Do you believe these things? Promises like Matthew 7, when he says, ask and it will be given to you. Do you believe that? Are you shocked if it happens? When one reads promises like this, I feel like we're always trying to remind God of our special circumstance. This can't be true because of my sin, because of my personality, because of my situation, God. Now let's look at Mary's response. If I'm Gabriel, I'm worried at this point. He just went to Zechariah. Didn't go well. <clears throat> so now he's going to, girls girl is about 14 years old. How is she going to respond to the news that, hey, you're about to bear the son of God and you're a virgin? Let's look at verse 26 through 38. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord will give to him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I'm a virgin? And the angel answered her, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Now now I love Mary's response to Gabriel after he says, Greetings, O favored one. The Lord is with you. says that she's troubled. She's trying to figure out what does this angel mean. Luke is saying this to show her humility. She's she's basically thinking, you get this picture of a little, she's got to be about 14 It's like, are you talking to me? (laughs) Favored one, are you talking? Am I missing something here? You're talking to me. And then Gabriel gives her the most absurd promise that has ever been given to anyone, ever. I mean, just imagine your prayer time, you're 14 and angel appears and says, you are gonna bear the Son of God. Now, I know you're not wealthy. I know you don't come from royalty. I know you're not from some priestly family. I know all those things, but you are going to have the King of kings and the Lord of lords as your son. He's going to establish a kingdom and it is never, ever going to end. You're going to bear the Messiah. And I'm sure if somebody told you this, a thousand questions will pop through your head And for Mary, the most pressing one is, how? How? I'm I'm a virgin. Now, you've got to understand, this is different than Zechariah's response. Zechariah wanted more evidence. To know what the angel was saying was true. Mary doesn't want evidence. She doesn't want a sign. She wants an explanation. Zechariah asked, how shall I know this? Mary asked, how's this going to happen? How is this going to happen? Give me some details. She's not doubting that it will happen. She's just wondering how. And Gabriel answers her. He doesn't rebuke her. He answers her. And you know, it, it's not wrong to ask God how he's going to do something. When you pray for him, to ask him how he's going to do something. By asking him how he's going to do something, you're actually demonstrating that you believe he is going to do it. You are going to fulfill your promises. Now tell me how. How is this going to happen? Now, he might not give you all the details. He might just tell you the first step. But He's not going to rebuke you. It's not wrong to ask him how he's going to work. And after Gabriel tells her what's going to happen, Mary, you're going to be a 14-year-old pregnant virgin who's going to have to go to her fiancé Somehow explain things. I mean, just try to imagine that conversation. Joseph, pregnant, promise you it was God. I mean, you've got to know the tensions coming there. The, the shame that's going to come with all of that. You know, this unwed pregnant person, that stigma kept with Jesus his whole life. Look at the accusations that went to Jesus when he's talking about his father, his father in heaven. People go, hey, Jesus, tell exactly who is Tell us, who is your father? Who is your father, Jesus? They're stinging him. He carried that with him his whole life. Mary certainly felt it here. She knows what's going to happen. As a matter of fact, right after she gets the news, what does she do? She leaves her hometown and she goes to Elizabeth, the one person who's going to understand. She knows what's coming, and yet look at her response. Behold, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be done to me according to your word. Total humility, total surrender. A very appropriate response to an incredible promise of God. Now, I know that most of us in here probably fall in the Zechariah camp. Um, don't be discouraged. This is a temporary lapse for Zechariah. He was a righteous and he was a blameless man who made a really just boneheaded decision in doubt. You know, but we're going to look at next week, they both end up dancing and singing. You know, they go different roads. You have Zechariah is given a promise of God. He doubts, he's rebuked, he's disciplined, but it's going to end with him singing. You have Mary who believed, was encouraged, and it ends with her singing. But God, you know, no matter which route you take, God is going to bring you in to a greater rejoicing of himself. Don't be discouraged if you're Zechariah. I know God has promised us many, many good things. Let's not think he was mistaken. Let's not ask for proof. Let's not think he doesn't understand our situation. Let's just simply humble ourselves before the Lord and acknowledge that he loves us deeply and knows what he's doing. Pray with me. Lord, we thank you for the two people that you have put before us in Scripture. Neither one of them are heroes. There are no heroes in the Bible. There's only Jesus, our Savior. All of us need a Savior. Zechariah, Mary, everyone here in this room. Lord, I thank you that you are a God who saves. thank you you are a God who has promised us good things. Lord, whenever we doubt those, may through your Spirit you give us the strength to believe. And may it end with us dancing and singing your praise. We pray this in the strong name of Jesus. Amen.